Hello, you are listening to episode 189, I think. Good God. Of uh, Three Moves Ahead, the once in a future official podcast of FlashSteel.com, coming to you on the Idle Thumbs Network. I am your host for today, Troy Goodfellow, and with me is one of my founding uh, panelists and the most recent member of the of the Three Moves Ahead XCOM team to die a horrible death, <laughs> Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. God damn it, that game is hard. It is, but you know, <laughs> but, but Bruce is a major. <sighs> Bruce Garrick has survived. I got one. Tom Chick died in the first battle. Yeah, it's like ugly. It, it was. It's hideous. Uh, with us uh, today are two of our frequent guests. We have from a few subway stops away, independent developer Dave Heron. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you back. And also, uh, the eighth Beatle of Three Moves Ahead uh, <laughs> from Stardock Games, uh, my very good friend, Mr. John Schaefer. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. And, John, you've got a big week at Stardock coming up or a big month. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're actually wrapping up Fall Enchantress right now. And um, I think just a couple weeks on October 23rd, you'll be able to buy it. So go do wow. that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Very, very soon. So. Congrats, man. Uh, yeah, I'm sneaking away to uh, do this, but uh, I love you guys, so <laughs> I would never turn you down. Good. Uh, today we're going to talk again about XCOM. This is kind of the review show, I guess, bringing together some people who now we've had time to play it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Jake Solomon on the show talking to Rob and Bruce, and they had a preview build. Uh, didn't have all of the features in it. Um, now we have time, time with the full game for the last week or so, and everyone's got a lot of things to say about this. So I think it's time we have a proper review-type show to talk about what we like, what we don't like, um, and I guess what XCOM kind of means uh, for strategy gaming and gaming in general. Probably won't even get that far because it's going to be a love fest. But let's start with <laughs> our guests. Uh, Dave, how far are you in? Uh, let's see. I am... Mm, I, I suspect I'm about halfway through. I'm about, I've uh, played about for about 12 hours, and I think that's about uh, 24 missions. Okay. John? Um, I think I'm the uh, the squatty of the group. I have uh, only about six or seven hours and about uh, eight or eight or ten missions in, so not, not, not as far as Dave. Huh. See, I, I would have thought that I was the one furthest behind, but I, what, I've played the... I've played the first seven missions twice all the way through because I installed it on my laptop and on my desktop. Uh, and so I've tried, I've sort of tried to make different choices. Not that there are that many really branching choices one can make. Um, and then on, on my desktop install, I'm probably up to about 12 or 13 missions in. So I, I don't know how far that is, far that's in, but is this a game that you really talk about like being done? I don't really, I mean, they're, they're certainly going through the first time, has this sort of great narrative place, you know, going through it. But I, I, there's no question in my mind I'm going to fire this up again. I'm assuming I'm not just replaying that story. I'm assuming I'm just going to be playing somewhat randomized missions or something. Troy, help me out here. Yeah, I mean, the story's pretty much the same. The story beats. You try to build up your tech and attack the aliens and get some of the same cutscenes. But pretty much after this, it's going to be, you know, different. It'll be... The attacks will be in different places. They'll happen at different times. You'll get different loot. But there are only uh, so many kinds of it. missions, right? I mean, I sure. I'm already I mean, after, yeah, that. right. Yeah. There are there are different. different I mean, there are limits on the types of missions, but I mean, they'll be in different orders. They won't always be abductions in China, for example. Not that 
China's part of my world anymore because I kind of let them go. And <laughs> they've, they've left. I'm sorry, China. Didn't mean to let you go like that, but I needed the U.S. more. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a game that I'm going to be going back to and playing again. I'm probably going to be restarting because I'm learning stuff as I go. So, oh, crap. That's what I should have done. Yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm so. That to me is the great dilemma of this game is whether I go back. And I'm not the kind of guy that, that hits reload when something goes badly. I tend to just plow ahead. But uh, in my main install, I'm, I don't know, 12 missions in or something like that. And um, and I just had my first total total party kill. And I, I, I literally sat there staring at the screen. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know whether it was going like, <laughs> to say game over. But no, it takes you back and it, it sort of makes this chastising announcement about how terrible you are. Uh, and then I guess I can just keep on plowing ahead. Uh, and and leave uh, at this point. I think it was India to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if, but, you, if it took that long to, for you to, get, to have your squad wiped out, you're, you're clearly not playing on classic. No, I'm just playing normal, <laughs> just the straight normal mode through. With I, at this point, I have five squaddies. But I mean, it, it, does that say when, when do you give up? I mean, do you just is there actually a point where you just truly lose and the entire world folds? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a point where I'm just not going to be able to, to keep up with, you know, injuries, death to veteran soldiers, um, failure to keep enough sweet Chinese and South African money rolling into my coffers <laughs> uh, to finance this boondoggle government operation of drafting rookies from Argentina to send up against flying discs of death. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, but yeah, eventually there's going to be a point where I'm just going to be unable to keep up and I'll be overwhelmed. I'll, be, I'll either be broke, unable to hire new soldiers, sending in partial squads or something, and just everything's going to uh, – funding will be pulled or there'll be an alien complete takeover, and that'll be a loss point. Um, whether I quit before then and go restart is a different question. I just had my to- first total party kill yesterday, I think, and it was, again, it was in India too. <laughs> it was also in India. Apparently India's quite deadly. So we're talking a lot about where we are in the game. We haven't said much about, you know – whether we liked it. Does anyone here not like XCOM? Silence. <laughs> Cricket. The ghost, no, it's the ghost of Bruce It's genius. It's, it's genius. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not flawless. It's reviewed games of the year. It's not flawless, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, it, it, the one thing I will say, I mean, I'm playing it on PC. I'm guessing we're all playing it on PC. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm playing an NPC, and I'm on my laptop. I was playing it on airplanes flying around this week. Um, and I was playing it. Not only was I not playing it with a mouse and keyboard, I was playing it with a trackpad and keyboard, and it was <laughs> playable. It wasn't like the most fabulous airplane experience ever, but it was totally playable. And then I came home and started it over again with an Xbox 360 controller, and oh my gosh, this is it! Somebody has finally made a strategy game that really works with a controller. I prefer oh. playing it with the controller massively. Does it make the camera less annoying? Yes, <laughs> yes. Because that's the big. That, that's my number one complaint about this game is the camera. Definitely, it's the only time I reload is when I lose a squatty because you know the the camera can't decide which level of a two level building I'm actually trying yes. to select, and my squatty runs out in the middle of the open and gets eviscerated. Oh no! It's the, the, I, I assume that means you're not playing with a controller, right? No, I'm I'm not. I'm playing with the with my mouse. So with a controller, and I don't know why they couldn't make it better on the keyboard, but with a controller, first of all, you've got one button which zooms you all the way out. And so you can just hit that at any point and you can get a 
total you know bird's eye view. And then the D-pad is just your camera controls. And left and right just let you spin around as much as you want. And then the up and down just changes the level that you're targeting. And so it's super precise. And they actually get rid of the grid if you're using a controller. You don't even need to use the grid anymore, although you're still technically on the grid because you're not trying to click on it. There's no need for the grid. Um, and, and so I've actually found the camera controls to be completely innocuous. They were frustrating as hell trying to play with a trackpad and keyboard. Uh, but with the controller, it's just, uh, you know, after once I realized that it's like, oh, my thumb is what controls the camera, it was totally flawless. I, I'm, I'm shocked because, honestly, I think I'm one of those people that said I don't think you could ever make a really good strategy game with a console in mind. Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting argument. I mean... It it obviously hadn't been a, a great track record for strategy games on the, on the major consoles up to this point, but uh, XCOM was definitely designed as a console game, so I'm not surprised that it plays better with a controller than it does with uh, mouse and keyboards. So um, I don't know how surprising that should be. Um, maybe the fact that it's good with a with a controller should be a should be a pleasant surprise. But yeah, I I haven't tried the the controller yet. I've been tempted to, but I'm trying to hold off. But the more I hear about it, the more it sounds <laughs> some like that's sort of like play. some sort of like you know uh, fundamentalism. Oh, <laughs> Just, you got to go like buy a fifty dollar. You're going to feel poisoned. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what if I am? Uh, the, does it? Did you, Julian? Uh, did you ever play the Valkyria Chronicles on the PlayStation? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering uh, how, uh, just I think a lot of the interface uh, is reminiscent of that, so I'm wondering, and they actually, I think, succeeded as well, and it was a sort of a turn-based tactical thing, too. I mean, some of it is that this is kind of the perfect design for that limited control set you get from uh, a controller, because you are only dealing with four to six guys on the screen at a time. Um, the number of things those guys can do is fairly limited. Um, and, and I think that that's the, the genius of this design is that I, I, you have to imagine there were plenty of design meetings where people were trying to toss other things in. And, and it, it's this, it feels like this tremendous exercise in restraint where everything that you can do is interesting and fun and just as valuable as the other thing you could have done. And so it, it, it forces I can't imagine playing this game if you're the kind of person that gets analysis paralysis like Rob Zachney must actually hate himself playing this game because <laughs> because he must sit there and spend 25 minutes on every single turn. I mean the, the spaces are so tight. I, mean, there are, I wrote a piece about XCOM yesterday and it'll be linked at the bottom of this podcast. And there are just so many things to say about how this streamlined the game, how it Streamlined the original, how it remade. I mean, it's really it's a remake, but it's not a remake. It's kind of a reboot. It's like the the, the Batman Begins of Batman movies, I suppose. It is a new it's a new way of looking at a really classic story, um, and it is a cl- classic game. And I think because you're right, Julian, it does limit what you can do. But each of those choices are quite stark and all of them are kind of useful in different circumstances and there is you know this pressure and sometimes to put together this, this I mean uh, Rob wrote a great piece for GameSpy that went up today and it'll also be linked about you know trying to put together the perfect turn and he writes about you know you can build the perfect turn in this very simple XCOM 
enemy unknown interface and spend a lot of time planning that out. So I think you're right. He's, you know, spending hours and hours and hours <laughs> staring at his sniper thinking, oh my God, which box do I stick him behind? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's definitely the, the, the biggest triumph of this game and the feature that stands out the most, which is how tight the design is. And as a designer, that's, that's an awesome thing because a lot of times when you're working on a game, uh, you know, forces outside of your control dictate that certain things have to be in the game or certain things have to work a certain way. But with XCOM, it's clear that uh, Jake, when he was designing the game, decided, you know, and this is something he talked about on the, the episode a couple weeks ago, which was, you know, he at a certain point he said, well, you know, I'm going to make a new game. I'm going to make a different game than the original XCOM, and I'm going to kind of do it my way and modernize it and force... Uh, difficult decisions on players. I'm not going to have time units just because the first version of the game had time units. I'm not going to have, you know, unlimited number of bases just because the first game had an unlimited number of bases. So, yeah, I think that was I think that was a good move, and it definitely pays off. I think uh, I I want to echo those comments when when I was listening to the uh, the the previous podcast. He mentioned that it was his favorite game of all time, and it's my favorite, the old, the, the original XCOM. That's one of the things that inspired me to get into game design, and, and that that experience has informed every game I've made, uh, even my iPhone fashion dressmaking game. I, the through lines are a little bit harder to see, but <laughs> but but but, the, but they're they're there, and this is probably not the right podcast to discuss those things. But um, but but as someone that came from, I think a very similar place, I can see wh- where the love of the previous version moves to this new game, and it's a new game that um, myself, uh, when I go back and I play that original game. I don't love it as much because I it is you know my appreciation is informed of all the games and all the evolution of uh, the way we approach games and my relationship to them uh, have have gone in the last fifteen years and then this came out <laughs> and and it and it's exactly what I want. Yeah, I, and, and you know I think it's it's really tough for me to go and try to make that comparison to the original XCOM. I mean I think that's that's a bit of a sucker's bet because you know when when good old games put XCOM out it was like two years ago, right, and and solved all of the get it to run right problems you know just instantly and was I don't know a dollar or something ridiculously cheap. You know I I think I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners went back and bought that and reinstalled it and yeah I enjoyed it but. It doesn't. It doesn't necessarily age well in the sense that there are all these things that you expect from a game now, whether it's just graphics or story or whatever, you know, clean interfaces or I, I don't know, transparency. Or, all or those things tips. aren't in that game, <laughs> but that game was still brilliant for its time. Um, and I think that's a common problem with sort of nostalgic games: is you go back and you play them, and eh, you know they're they're still amazing. You still remember all the fantastic things about them. Um, and this, to me, captures the spirit of everything I loved about XCOM without being a slave to it. And I think that's very tough to do. Um, I, I think one of the, the, the best parts about it is um, the res- sort of the restrictions that they've, that they've put on it and the refinements of the systems to what I would describe as like a, a far more discreet uh, form of decision-making. Uh, each each uh, encounter is, is a little bit more puzzle-like in the, the way that the relationship between the position of your squad mates and the position of the enemy. Um, and I am actually playing this game in the way that I probably should have played the original XCOM f- 
15 years ago with a level of, of uh, decision-making and precision and the willingness to fall back that I didn't have right. when I was uh, a much younger man. And, and patience, right? I mean, it's, there are not many games that reward patience, right? And mm-hmm. I've found <laughs> in several missions where, you know, the best strategy is actually to have like three or four guys hunkered down or in Overwatch and one guy just scouting them out. And you might take three or four turns of that. And that feels very alien in the modern gaming world to actually not do anything for a few turns except have one little guy move a, three or four spaces just to see if you can, you know, get mm-hmm. the enemy to show themselves. Yeah. It's- well, especially in a game like this, like XCOM Enemy Unknown, which in some ways tries to ape the look of modern action games. The way it has the cinematic... They look like Space Marines, dashing, for God's sake. Yeah, Space Marines <laughs> dashing, towards, dashing towards cover, the spectacular kill shot, the aliens dropping, you see the thin men looking around all creepy, a new, a new enemy has appeared. Stuff you would see in an action game. So there's this temptation to say, oh, this is kind of like an action game, but it really isn't. And if you play it like... So it sells itself like one, and it tempts you into making stupid mistakes <laughs> by You're saying the game is evil. Forward. I'm saying, I'm saying the, the, oh, the game is evil, but, oh. but it knows it's evil. I mean, I mentioned mm-hmm. this in my post. I've seen it before. I've, other people have mentioned it. That, you know, in the tutorial mission... Three quarters of your squad <laughs> dies gets in the killed. first mission. Yeah, <laughs> the very first mission, the tutorial where they're teaching you stuff. Well, he's dead. You better go and kill him. Oh, now you're dead. It's like, oh crap. And this is, but this is all set in stone. This is, this isn't, this isn't, this is all scripted. You can't do anything. They're telling you what to do, and they're setting you up for the fact that this is a game that is going to punish you if you don't do the right things. And even if you do do the right things, you will probably die. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to sacrifice somebody to get to take out to take out an, an enemy sniper to get to the civilian in time to whatever. There are going to be some kamikaze missions in there, and you. So the idea of approaching this with the I want to keep my entire squad alive, though sweet and nice, and you might have this great uber-powered squad by the end, but you're really missing the kind of powerful charm that XCOM is trying to tell you, which is this is a life-or-death mission. People are going to die. You can get a good rating. If, if you have a squad of six and two of them get killed, a third of your team gets wiped out. Hey, that's a good performance. Congrats. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, crap. That's good. John, I, I actually um, wanted... Even though you're hurting inside because you just lost your sniper. Do you reload? <laughs> right, you may have... Things will go worse the next time because you, you don't know what's coming up. And you probably named that sniper Julian. That yeah. magic scanner around. And oh, now it's, now it's a terror mission, not an abduction mission. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, something uh, that I was thinking a little about with this game is how it compares to Crusader Kings in a way and how Crusader Kings kind of rewards failure. Uh, where it, or or rather if you fail, you don't lose immediately, which is the case in most games. If you fail, you, you lose and then it reloads and you're back to where you were. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you guys think, uh, the, the failure in this game, obviously there is a lot of failure, but do you accept that failure? Do you move on? Do you reload? Are you playing Iron Man? Um, I'm just curious about what you guys think about that. Um, and from my perspective, I'm I'm playing on uh, classic Iron Man, so I, I want I want the pain. <laughs> right. So I think I'm I probably should have done that. Uh, I've been playing in normal mode, just plain old vanilla, and I'm probably gonna be the sole one out. But I haven't had anyone die yet. Wow. 
and spend 22 missions. I got a bunch of colonels. You guys are all colonels in my in my little army. <laughs> um, yeah, you're playing on normal. <laughs> yeah, and I think and I think that that I think maybe that was a, a bit of a mistake, but I'm a little too far in to, to sort well, of switch. I'm I'm playing on normal too because I was you know I haven't played the original XCOM in a long time, so I was you know trying to get used to this new system. So I'm I'm I have a game going on now. My longest game's going on normal right now, and I've lost tons of people. Mm. Um. And I'm I'm not alone in that. A lot of people say maybe you're just really really good at this. I'll I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll share some tactics with you, <laughs> but uh, oh no, I I have to have the tactics. I have to stop. I have to stop being an idiot. Yeah, I think yeah, I think res- restraint is pretty much the 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 biggest the biggest thing. Over Overwatch and snipers. That's the. What do you think of the? Uh, I just wanted to get to the cinematic sort of moments. You 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 talked about the thin men. Initially, I was pretty turned off with the, the notion of every single time you reveal an alien, they all run away. What was your sort of initial thoughts about that change? They all... I'm, I'm a little confused. Every time you reveal... An, what do you mean? When you reveal the aliens, there's a cinematic scene, and then the aliens scurry for cover. They don't run away, necessarily. Uh, all ranged ones will go for cover. All melee troopers will run towards you. Right, but that's, well, but wouldn't you expect somebody to run for cover when they've discovered that all of a sudden there's somebody going to shoot at them? Sure, that sure, sure. That seems totally just, rational to me. No, I, I, I suspect, I just, it is, it is different in that it breaks the, the rules uh, sort of set out by the game saying that uh, they get a little mini turn in the middle of your turn, right? That's unlike other tactics games that I've played. Well, it's kind of a. I look at it as sort of a, a discovery reaction move. We've been spotted. You've just seen them. They've seen you. Before you have a chance to interact, they have a chance to get out of well, your sight. Maybe I'm wrong, but I was just reading through the skill tree, and I thought I saw that one of the the trooper types, right? I mean, and that's another cool thing here is everybody starts as a peon, and then they auto specialize, which is kind of cool. Um, but one of the trees I thought had sort of a snapshot during that reaction phase. I swear I just read that. It may. Um, so that so that basically when you say basically it makes them like the Uber Recon guy because they go out and then as soon as they get discovered during that move, it's basically like your auto Overwatch the second you discover the alien. I'm really pretty positive I just saw this in the game like an hour ago. Interesting, because I haven't I haven't encountered that one what there is is the sniper can get uh a little thing that that uh, they can toss out that is like a another vision point that won't yes. trigger those events yes uh, that i've seen too for sure but i'm pretty sure that there's a reaction but i but i do think it plays a little fast and loose with traditional timing mechanics and i totally don't care right i mean it it, it all feels very contemporaneous it all feels very much part of the moment um, and while this game is definitely difficult, and like I said, my last turn before with this podcast, I'd had a total party kill. So it's definitely a difficult game. I have yet to feel cheat. Right? It doesn't feel like a cheat ever. I guess my relationship with that mechanic is, it, to me, it's the one the one point where um, it's very very predictable, and as such, it's very easy to exploit. So I've learned to. Uh, 
use that movement, which is predictable uh, because it's governed by an automatic system, to actually drive them using their free move into my kill zones. So I will you set up one guy off to flank and pull them into your line of fire. Exactly. Like I, I will set up all my six guys with their Overwatch. They move and they just get they you know. Before they have a chance to do anything, they all get the sh they get shot at yeah, twice. But then, by, the, but oh then, guys. but then, you know, then you hit a level where they all turn to zombies, and all bets are off. True. true. <laughs> <laughs> that that's actually one of the other th interesting things about this game, um, which it shares with the original and, and some older school games, but really not very many modern games. Uh, which is the element of randomness when you when you shoot at an enemy. There's a, you know, if you're in good shape, there's a 60, 70% chance you'll hit your enemy. Um, if you get in really, really good shape, it's 100%, but that's pretty rare. Um, I think it's interesting that they chose to embrace that, uh, that element of randomness, which so few games do these days, uh, because you can line everything up in your favor, you can make all the right decisions, you can do everything correctly, um, and get that 8% chance to hit and then you miss and then everything everybody can die so i think that it's it's interesting that they decided to keep that and i'm i'm kind of glad they did uh, i wouldn't want every game to work that way but i think there's definitely a place for games that still do that i love how people react to that sort of uh, design decision though i mean uh, sid meyers talked about this many times how people see oh i have an 85 percent chance of killing it they mentally turn that into a hundred percent yes that this is a shot that they have to make and then get angry when their sniper doesn't actually oh, get the kill believe shot. me you'll miss 98 percent sniper headshots because i've done it plenty <laughs> <laughs> so there's so, so exactly and this is a maybe this is a, a just a fractious way of doing things but it's i mean i'm, I'm glad they've done it i mean i can do the math, and I understand that you know, eighty-five percent isn't perfect. I I love when those twenty percent shots actually work out. You know, you have to make it, and you do. Um, there's a million to one chances of work, and it pulls it off. So even, even though it's uh, only the, uh, a four to one chance, yeah. Well, yeah, but it's, it's a Terry. But it's very sat. It's very satisfying, uh, right? I, I and I also think it allows for a level of discreteness in your choices about equipment. And we should talk a little bit about the overworld stuff here too. But it allows for those discrete choices where you know, really surveying your environment and starting to learn that, like, oh, I'm definitely going to get a couple percent for being in this position versus that position. It feels very subtle, and it feels like it rewards thoughtful play so like you know if you have if you have a movement where you know the guy you're shooting is not on overwatch and is not going to shoot you because they've exhausted themselves and you've got like a, a line of crates that you could hide behind well you know which crate you choose to stop at actually matters because if one is a couple degrees a better angle than the other you know you have a 58 percent chance to hit instead of a 53 percent chance to hit and so it really feels like it rewards that kind of thoughtful play or thoughtful equipment or, you know, getting getting altitude, right? It, it, it's very simple, but I think it's very rewarding. Oh, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And because it's a number, you can ha have a measure of how successful your squad is working together. So I think one of my, you know, my good stories, which isn't a dead party wipe out story which is sort of the XCOM natural is <laughs> the default is the default is is uh using my light uh my light machine gun to lay down fire which suppresses and gives bonuses to hit to all my people 
then flanking with another member, using the pistol to do uh, two more hits, uh, but keeping it alive so that my third person can now come in and shock it and capture uh, this like really rare and important resource. Um, and, and if I hadn't done it in that specific order, I likely wouldn't have been able to, to get that stun. And uh, that's, that to me is part of that puzzle, part of that what really gets me going. So let's talk about the strategic stuff, um, not all of which was in evidence uh, when Rob and Bruce had Jake on the show. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the decisions made at the strategic level? The big one, which was mentioned, is to you know have a single base instead of multiple bases. Um, research is a little bit different, and engineering is a little bit different. Um, how do you feel about how it all works together and fits with the tactical level? I really like it. I think the decision to go to one base was a really good one. Um, I know not everyone feels that same way, but... When I played the original, I always felt that whenever I was founding additional bases, I was doing the same thing over and over again, and I wasn't really making actually meaningful decisions. Whereas now with one base and everything kind of leading you down this one path, you you have to actually think more carefully about what you're doing. So there's less stuff, but more meaning to the stuff that you actually do. And that's, you know, that's a theme that runs through the entire game. You know, you, your soldiers only have one item slot. Um, you can only you only have one base. Uh, all these sorts of things that uh, kind of force you well, to yeah, make hard really, choices. Yeah, exactly. And, and to be clear, yeah, you don't have multiple bases. You still do have to focus on like what, you, you have to make decisions about where you're going to focus, right? You can't get satellite coverage on the whole world. You can't uh, you know you can't equip fighters in every part of the world, right? So you're definitely going to be letting some countries die and and other countries be your stalwart holdouts in this war against the aliens. And and that feels good. That feels right. It feels dramatic. It feels like you're telling a story, and that's all great. Um, the actual mechanics of building out your base and deciding what to research and deciding what to spend your money on and and choosing which mission based on whether it's giving you engineers or scientists or money or you know quelling panic somewhere. Those all feel like interesting choices. I don't feel like I have a great sense of an optimal strategy out of it. But at the same time, I'm never feeling like it's random either. Like I could just pick any one of these things. And that's, a, I think, a very tough line to walk in strategy games, right? I mean, there are plenty of games that we talk about in Victoria or whatever, where there's so much complexity to the system that you sort of feel like, well, I could just make any kind of random decision. It doesn't matter. I'm going to lose anyway, because the system is so complex, I could never optimize it. Here, the optimization is pretty minimal, but I still don't feel like there's some perfect strategy out there that I just haven't discovered because it feels very situational. You know, if I've had a, you know, if I've had a run of good missions where I've managed to collect a lot of resource materials and done a couple things where I've got a lot of scientists, well, then I, I know that by focusing on research and engineering for a little bit that I'm going to be in great shape. On the other hand, if I've got a bunch of missions that have paid me a lot of money and maybe a couple extra engineers, I know I can focus on doing satellite coverage and get a little bit of juice that way and increase my economy effectively. And and But they never feel like... They don't sort of feel like playing a game of civilization where you're in the mid-game and you're like, well, which victory am I going for here? Because there's only going to be one path to the end. It never feels like that. Yeah, if I had if I had one sort of complaint, and it's not even an intelligent one because I don't really fully understand it, is I find the tactical combat 
so exhausting that I almost want just like a little bit longer of a break in between battles. Cause I agree with that completely. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I don't, and, and like, you know, what John said is er, very early on, it's bang on. It's like they resisted the urge to add things. So I certainly wouldn't want to say like they needed to do something else. <laughs> like um, a mini game in the but middle. It, <laughs> but it's so, but something there because I, you know, I, I did a marathon session last night of four hours and I was so exhausted. Like, I, I, I'm like, I'm going back. I, I, I want to go back into battle. It was like getting ready to t- assault their base and I knew it was going to be awesome. But I kind of just wanted a little bit of a break. <laughs> well, and, and one of the reasons this game feels so unrelenting is, you know, you send your guys out. It's not like you can ever keep all your guys from ever even getting hit. So they get, well, they get, you know, a couple of guys get beat up and then they're, you know, they're in the ER for 10 days. And, you know, there's, there's no way to like advance the clock really, because you go in and you start scanning for threats and well, all of a sudden the shit's hit the fan again and you got to send a bunch of rookies out. And so there is that, that sense of, even though it's totally at your own pace in the sense that it's never going to spring something on you that you have to twitch for, uh, there is sort of an inexorability of the war going on that you can't slow the pace of. Yeah. I love, I love the fact that, uh, your, your, your team members can get, well, will get injured and you won't be able to use your best ones at, at certain points. And you have to, you have to go with lesser soldiers. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, it, it really forces players to adapt. Uh, whereas in, I think a lot of other games, you can kind of just line things up perfectly and do everything exactly how you want to and follow the plan precisely. And that's honestly, it's, it's fun in a way, but it's not as interesting. Oh, and, and, and I think like that, that mechanic fits really beautifully into when there's the panic attacks and you have to choose between the three different places you go. Like a very real choice was I just assaulted the base. Everybody was hurt. Everyone good that was. And then this panic attack happened the day later and I had the choice between one that said difficult and one that said very difficult. And I went with the difficult <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. I knew I knew I had the, the I had to bring in uh, three rookies. Half my squad was going to be useless. Yeah, the the one thing that I would actually say about the strategy layer that I'm not a big fan of, uh, which is related to that, is that uh, the rewards, at least for some of those missions, are, are kind of gamey. Uh, you know, if you go to China, you'll get four engineers. If you go to Argentina, you get five scientists. Okay. That's that's cool. You know, I have to think about that. But you know why? You know, it's it's something where I think they could have done a little bit more to tie the the theme and the mechanics together. Like maybe in Argentina there was a research lab that was under attack, and by yeah, I I agree protecting with that. them. You know, why why am I getting money out of the U.S. every time I send a mission there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not, the, and it could have just been a slight, you know, just a tiny bit more flavor text. Although I gotta say, there's a whole lot more flavor in this than I expected. Right. I mean, there's these detailed research reports you can read, which are actually pretty well written and kind of interesting. And the cutscenes are, are, I think, really interesting and well done and they don't overstay their welcome. And thankfully, they're all skippable if you've seen them before. Um, And the voice acting is surprisingly good for a strategy game to even say that the voice acting is tolerable is amazing. Really? You think the voice acting's good? It's got the guy from Lost. <laughs> oh, great, a guy from Lost. It's got the it's got the Chinese scientist from Lost, and isn't it Merle Dandridge playing the one of the uh, in one of the tutorial missions? I think we have Alex from Half Life Two, Merle Dandridge, as the you know the 
person you have to rescue in the escort mission. Yeah, but Sorry. Command and Conquer had Ric Flair. So really... <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally... I'd, Where's my Michael Ironsides, goddammit? I, I didn't mind it. I thought... You know, I thought a lot of it was over the top, but I think that was the goal. So it was, I thought it was charmingly over the top. Yeah, I agree. I want to get back to the pacing for a bit because this is one of the most unusually paced games I've ever played. Because it feels like I've been playing this for like 12, 20 hours. Because, you know, as Dave said, it's kind of an exhausting game. You get lost in it and time kind of flies, but it's a slow kind of time. You're so immersed in it, and it feels like it's been a long time playing because you're so invested in what's going on. And you look up, and I've only put five hours into this game. What the hell? Because it does feel like you are really, really working on some pretty tough chores here. And it can be exhausting, but it's a good kind of exhaust, like a really good workout. It's like a really good mental workout for you. Uh, like, you know, sitting through one of Bruce's lectures. It's, you know, you have to work at it to understand what the hell's going on, and you're investing yourself in And time really I'm not going to say time stands still, or that time flies, but it's a peculiar sort of pacing in that it feels, I'm, I'm not sure how to describe this time warp XCOM has me in, because it, it does feel like the time is just slowing down for me to appreciate what's going on around mm-hmm. me. It's XCOM time. Uh, there's your time you right there and i just don't know what it is that that makes this work so well, there's, well. there's like no a, downtime like, right i mean and i think there's something about this tactical strategy game and we talked about this a little bit when we had the guys from frozen synapse on right that there's something about this tactical time that you click into which really is like a different brain space that very few games hit and i think it really does it is exhausting and it is interesting and it's very satisfying when it works but yeah it's like you play you play through a mission and you feel like you've been playing that mission for half an hour and then you look up and you've actually played it in six minutes (laughs) yeah i think uh, it's really just the fact that every decision that you have to make whether it's in the tactical layer or the strategic layer is a hard decision you know in the tactical layer obviously where do i move my guys who do i shoot do i wait on overwatch do i use my item you know those are all very important decisions you go back to the t- strategic layer and then hey what research do you want to make hey if you don't get the right thing you might not have weapons next time or you know what what are you going to build this time or who what what mission are you going to take you know all ev- pretty much the entire time you're playing is just one hard decision to the next hard decision to the next hard decision. And yeah, I think I think your brain responds differently to that. I don't think it's something that's specific to the theme of the game or the genre or the mechanics. I think it's just the fact that everything you're doing is meaningful and not easy. I want to get back to some of the strategic level stuff, especially the equipment. Um, how you are limited to you know, a single supplementary item. Single. If you have like four categories, and you only have one item in that category, you don't have an inventory of stuff you can pull stuff. You can pull items from your soldiers. They're kind of limited, so you can only have. If you have a maximum of six people on a squad, how many med kits do you want? Because if you have a med kit, then you can't have a stun gun. And if you have a stun gun or a med kit, you can't have a scope. So there's a lot of picking and choosing over which how you want to allocate your very precious resources because you have to build these things. These aren't just items you buy and that's it. It takes time to build them. It takes engineers to build them. And they get given to soldiers and swap back around and it's 
kind of a really... And then you have nations asking for them. Hey, I see you built some laser rifles there. Can you send us ten? It's like, no! No, I can't send you ten. I need these. <laughs> Even though, but sometimes you have to get those rewards and to get you know your support up in these countries. And it's kind of frustrating to have that uh, little extra nagging voice asking for crap. So um, how do you feel the equipment stuff works out? The research of it, the allocation of it. I mean, I realize now, do not delay getting that, that, that carapace armor. First chance you, get the, you have to get the carapace armor, you buy that shit. I think that it's, uh, it actually is a standout of one of the really most impressive design uh, sort of aspects of the game. And the reason why I say that is that um, so often games, they create this illusion of choice in that you, have, you can say, uh, I, can, I can equip a scope or I can equip a medipack or I can equip these things. But really, for you to actually be effective, you have to put the scope on the sniper. You have to right. put the medipack right. on this. But in this game, that's not the case. I've been experimenting and in, 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 in manipulating uh, sort of which ones you, the, the expectations, putting a scope on a medic uh, as it's, because they eventually get two pieces of equipment. And then all of a sudden they really actually, because they can move faster, they become really good uh, spotters for the snipers. They become your recon guys, yeah. It, it's, it, it's, it's fantastic. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 the carapace armor you expect to put on the assault, but actually it really makes a lot of sense putting on the heavies, and then they, they because they can sort of get in this position where they can take a shot, but then they can fire back two, so that you get a two-for-one sort of trade-off. Um, and I, I, just as a designer, I was uh, pretty impressed. I, I agree. I mean, it does definitely, I mean, in some ways by restricting you to really just having that one slot for most of your characters... Uh, you're forcing a kind of specialization that really makes you think twice about everything. And yeah, I think the uh, the items and the equipment side of the game is really one of the best design features, period. Uh, the fact that you only have one item slot, I think, was a, a brilliant decision. And I know a lot of people probably won't like that, but it really does force you to make incredibly difficult decisions. And as Dave was saying earlier they're not usually even obvious at all. You might think that putting a med kit on your support soldier makes sense, but sometimes it just doesn't line up that way. Um, maybe this particular support soldier you're actually going to keep uh, in a certain part of the battlefield, and they're not going to be close enough to help most of your soldiers, so maybe putting the med kit on that assault soldier is, is a good thing to do. But um, one of the... I think that one of the areas that... I kind of felt a little bit weird about on the strategy side was the the need to research something and then build it and then equip it. It almost kind of feels like one layer too many. I don't know if you guys got that impression at all, but um, this is this is something I actually got uh, while doing a little bit of playtesting for uh, some board games that I helped out with. But you know, you feel like you want to research the thing and then you want to use and equip the thing. But with the engineering, it almost feels like the engine, the need to spend engineers to build items. Uh, you know, I know that's obviously an important part of the game, but a, a lot of times it just feels like an extra step that I was like, okay, why do I have to then do this extra thing? What do you, what do you guys think about that? You, you know, I hadn't actually even really thought about it until you say it. And um, 
you know what? You, you, I think I think you're you're right. And one of the ways that it sort of it exposed itself to me is there are um, build requirements for like the research. Like you need a certain amount of like ore or a certain amount of weapon fragments, and then you also need that stuff for the production. Um, but I'm never really clear on how much of it I have. It's sort of buried. Like it's not really upfront. Yeah, the economy is pretty problem. opaque. It's um, pretty opaque. Yeah, it it's definitely doesn't have that same uh, uh, that same level of elegance as I think some of the, the tactical stuff. That's a good, yeah. a good it just, insight. Yeah. It just feels like there's one layer or one level of decision-making too many. So, so what would you suggest? That instead of having engineers build it, you just buy it from the nations? Yeah, I think I think uh, with the, the equipment, at least, the things that you can actually put on your soldiers or satellites, things like that. Once I make the decision to research it, haven't I already made the decision that I'm going to equip someone with it? Right? <laughs> like, like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not quite as simple as that, but it's... Well, but it, it forces you to make this sort of, are, are you a builder or a researcher decision? I mean, in my current game, I'm way further ahead on the research side of things than I can actually make. I mean, I have all sorts of facilities and equipment that I don't have either the engineering capability or the facilities or the pieces to make yet. I mean, I'm probably two or three levels up on the research ladder for weapons, and I don't even I haven't even discovered some of the components for these weapons yet. So, um, you know, it it does make you have some trade offs there. But I agree. I think it's all it's a little opaque. Um, but boy, do I feel like we're splitting hairs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do think overall. Well, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, I think I think John's right that he's not. This is for, again, that's full of streamlining and efficiencies. This is one kind of odd holdover. Definitely. Yeah, it's the equivalent of the first 11 minutes in a Paradox game. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Right, in a game about... It's a different kind of game. Yeah, a game, a game about really meaningful decisions, it does seem to be one of the weak points. Um, I think one of the other sort of points that I, I'd like to discuss that I think is maybe not the strongest it could have been is the um, the evolution of your soldiers and their sort of their skill trees. Um, I haven't actually found that the decisions there are particularly rewarding. Um, my guys are all sort of clones of each other. I sort of made the decision of this is my style of play and I'm moving, uh, I move each of my guys through it the same way. Um, what's your relationship to that particular system? I mean, for, for people who haven't played it yet, the idea is your soldiers auto-specialize and they get one automatic trait to begin with, it describes them, and then you get to pick one of two traits pretty much all the way down until they've uh, hit the colonel level. Um, and yeah, it, I kind of feel the same way, Dave, that it's not, the soldiers do take on very, I don't have, like, all my snipers pretty much have the same skills. There's no difference between any of my snipers, really, because the other ones, like, I'm not sure how to use them yet, maybe. Maybe if, if I try to use them, I'll find uh, them more practical. And I think the more I play this, the more I'll be able to experiment with that. But having, you know, choosing one of two all the way down, it really does kind of, force you into a strange mix because they don't line up precisely the different types of soldiers you're building. It's not like one tracks one kind of sniper and the other tracks a different kind of sniper. They really are kind of detached from each other. So it's not quite clear. So the one you'll pick the one that automatically makes sense to you, I think, or that automatically fits the style of play you've been playing instead of actually getting a variety of different soldiers out there. I'm not sure how much that changes how I would play the game. Uh, maybe more people would survive, 
but it is a good it is a good observation. And I think I think one of the one of the reasons why is that um, they they hide the later levels. And so when I get the decision to to pick one thing or another, I'm going to pick the one that is immediately uh, I can I understand why it's beneficial. And that's a design decision that I don't really understand in a world where where you are playing this game on a device that is connected to the internet. Like, how can you ignore that as a designer? Like, it is a meaningless thing to, 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 hide, to hide that information. At least that's, that's sort of my, my thoughts. As, as somebody who has actually made the decision to hide things in games before, um, uh, I, can, I, can, I can kind of see why that was done. I think it was probably um, a, a concession to make that screen or that system a little bit less intimidating for for newer players so instead of having this big tree where you can mouse through everything or or, you know scroll through everything and see you know 15 abilities per class type and say oh i have no idea i do what i'm what i'm doing here you can just look at the one or two that are coming up in front of you and uh decide which of those one or two <laughs> you know decide on the one thing you have to decide from uh, well great a perfectly like. reasonable explanation that just <laughs> <laughs> curse you <laughs> of course uh when when i did it i had a, a toggle to turn things on and off but hey that's neither here nor there but um yeah to to speak to the uh to the soldier class concept as a whole i think that there are some really good things there and some things that i don't agree as much with uh one is the fact that the classes chosen for each soldier are random. I actually, I love that. I, I think in a lot of ways, when you take things out of the hands of the player, uh, then you can actually make the game more interesting. Because as you said, uh, when it comes to the specific talents or traits or whatever, I don't know what they're actually called, uh, that you're choosing for your soldiers, a lot of times you just kind of go what you're comfortable with. So if you could do that, you might just always have, you know, six assaults or six heavies or six, you know, whatevers. Um, And that's not all that interesting. So by kind of forcing you to mix the squads up, especially early in the game when you don't have a lot to choose from, or if you're playing on classic or I don't know, I guess if you're not very good and your soldiers are dying a lot, then yeah, you, you kind of have to work with what you have. So I think that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, The part of, that system that I, I'm not as much of a fan of is um, kind of what you were talking about, Dave, which is the decisions uh, sometimes are not as meaningful or not as informed or, you know, whatever the case may be uh, between the specific perks that you want to add to your soldiers. And I think something that could have made that a little bit more interesting if the, it would be if the environments themselves will, were a little bit more distinctive. So maybe... Um, you know, at night, of course, I've, I haven't played through the end of the game, so maybe there is this stuff and I just haven't seen it, but maybe in night missions, uh, the sniper is better in this way, but this other perk, it's better during the daytime. Or maybe when it's raining, you know, this this soldier gets a huge bonus, but when it's not, he gets nothing. So decisions like that, I think, could have made that system a little bit more more interesting, assuming, of course, that they're not higher up in the tree and I haven't seen them yet because they're hidden as you point out Dave. Yeah, I think you uh, it does ask you to make decisions based on information that you don't have. Um so it might be for for repeat 
repeat players. I think very early on, heavies get the opportunity to buy heat ammo, and it does additional damage versus mechanized uh, enemies. But you really, you, I got the opportunity to, to make that decision before long before I'd ever seen a, a mechanized enemy. So what am I supposed to base the, like, no, I'm not going to do that, I, and I got the other one. I don't even remember what the other one is. <laughs> it's just the thing that all my heavies have. <laughs> I could have used that mechanized thing when that disc bastard showed up, I tell well, you. What. Yeah. <laughs> then I, yeah, then that, I understood. That may have just been a balancing thing where they're like, mm, cyber discs are too tough, let's move them back from the tree. And then they did, and then it messed up the the, the trait system. But <laughs> peeking behind the curtain there a little bit, maybe, I don't know. Yes, I'm sure there's a design document that you once had access to that would make it make this all make sense. I I I I've never seen it, so if there is one, uh, I'm sorry, everyone. I failed you. So, um, any last thoughts on why XCOM is? It has to be the odds-on favorite for strategy game of the year, right? I mean, here we are closing in on the end of 2012. I mean, it's going to be this or Crusader Kings for me. It's it's going to be XCOM. Uh, to pick between the two. <laughs> and I think, you know, John's right to mention the parallel between how they both, you know, encourage you to push forward in spite of failure. Designers, pay attention. Yeah, they're they're both excellent games. I mean, yeah. if, if, if I were having to choose between the two, it would be a tough call. Um, you know, I've... I've had a ton of fun with both of them. I think uh, realistically, XCOM's going to win. Uh, you know, game of the year uh, for strategy, at least. Sorry, everyone. That's else. a big. That's a big major sites, and we can we'll each have our own personal favorites, of course. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but I, so XCOM, I mean, it it really is an amazing game, and I hope it's a huge success for Firaxis because this could not have been cheap. <laughs> for a Firaxis for a Firaxis game, not that not that Civ Five, not like John was building that out of out of out of Matt Tag Sale material. Tag Sale yes. material. <laughs> no, I I actually say would say I'm somewhat surprised by how big and polished it is, and I don't mean that in any way disparaging Firaxis or the team there. It's just that you know we. we you know, we we had Civ Five, and we had you know some you know expansions and extra material for that, et cetera. And then this game sort of got announced in the wake of the first-person shooter version of XCOM, and there was a little bit in the back of my mind the sense that maybe this was kind of an afterthought project or a labor of love from some small group or something like that. But this is this is mm-hmm. it. This is the real deal. This is a big ass game, and it's brilliant. Yeah, I feel a little sorry for those guys that have been working on Xenonauts. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I think yeah. I'm hoping that it doesn't. Like, I, I'm sure their product is still going to be fantastic, but um, I hope that this doesn't step on their toes too much. Yeah, this is uh, coming up to an inconvenient time for people making XCOM uh, clones. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, though I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to Xenonauts, um, and hopefully, we'll, hopefully, we can give it um, some time on the show when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, so. If, Listeners, if you haven't played XCOM, please do. Don't listen to anybody telling you that it's dumbed down. Uh, we'll link to Rob Zachney's rebuttal to all the dumbed down accusations uh, when the show goes up. He had like, a very nice uh, column uh, at GameSpy today uh, addressing those complaints and issues. Any last words? I can't wait to start uh, ripping this off in the iOS free-to-play space. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. It it, it makes my job in the boardroom convincing guys with money to make strategy games. Honestly, that's the thing that I think 
will be the uh, biggest legacy of this game, which is, hey, there's it's a strategy game. It's full of really great design and tough decisions and exactly what I think everybody wants from mm-hmm. a strategy game. And it's great, and everybody's watching it. I've seen ads for it on ESPN. Um, you know, this is this is a big deal. And hopefully it means that people will be paying attention a little bit more and and watching what's going on. So I think could be a really great thing for strategy games. Yep, I agree. Or a really good thing for for, for, for tactical squad games at the very least. Uh, this is um, I, I really hope that it does uh, inspire some people to you know move this to some interesting settings. Um, have some fun with it. It's a really, really good game. Go and buy it, um, despite some minor niggling issues, because we love to complain. Uh, Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone.